his goal to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. My name is Rebecca Hollis. Welcome to Rebecca Live, episode 322. We are smacking it. Hope your Saturday is going well wherever you're at. The show Rebecca Live, we talk through a couple of things. We talk about commerce, community, culture, with an overarching goal, which is pretty simple, of something that, which I firmly believe in, which is New Zealand wins when New Zealand does win. Pretty simple thing, really. Um, coming up on today's show, would you prefer to work only four days a week? A pilot study is currently underway involving a heap of Kiwi businesses to see how a four-day week can um, can help with staff wellness and business productivity. So we're going to be speaking with the study's co-founder, Charlotte Lockhart, in just a moment. For Learn, Share, Repeat today, I don't know if you know, but this week, Sky Tower turns 25. Mega. So we're going to be chatting with the architect, Gordon Moller, the man who designed the Auckland's iconic Sky Tower, which was super cool as well. After one o'clock for a tall poppy profile, we're catching up with Blair Hesp. He's one of a bunch of very smart Kiwis with PhDs, all sorts of big words and stuff, uh, in medical science and high pain jobs down in the South Island, working on some pretty awesome life-changing stuff that affects everybody. Then we've got Paul Conway, the Chief Economist for the Reserve Bank of Aotearoa, New Zealand at 1.30. Before 2 o'clock, we talk human rights with uh, Anne-Marie Brooke. She's one of the founders of the Human Rights Measurement Initiative. We've got Toreo Time, Young Bucks, and a bunch more. And if you're listening right now, at 1.30 today, we're going to be doing a one-minute pitch. Basically, you're going to get 60 seconds to be able to sell you, your business, your product, your service, whatever it is. You know, we want others to win as well, so we figure a good way to do it. Let's open up for a one-minute pitch. So 1.30, the first person to ring through is going to get a minute to be able to talk about them business, what they're doing, what they're selling, and how it's rolling. You can text me through if you've got any uh, questions or anything you'd like to add uh, to. Uh, 3920, or the number to call through is 0800-TODAY-FM. All right, let's get into the show. The time now is 5 minutes past 12. Roland, a group of New Zealand businesses have this week started trying a four-day working week. 20 businesses across a range of industries around Aotearoa are part of a pilot study, uh, both here and, uh, and over in Australia, run by Four Day Week Global. The foundation was founded by Andrew Barnes, a well-known Ki- uh, Kiwi and head of a trust company, Perpetual Guardian. They implemented a four-day work week for his uh, about 240 staff, I believe, uh, a couple of years ago in 2018. And they saw productivity increase by 20%. Who would have thought? Get rid of a day and you get more productivity. So we are joined today by Four Day Week Global co-founder, Charlotte Lockhart. Kia ora, Charlotte. How are you? Kia ora. Nice to see you, Robert. How's things? Um, how's your Saturday going? Where are you at and what's going on? Well, I'm on a ferry, actually, with the whole bit just ended up being a bit, bit late, but I'm heading off to see my mother. It's always great to have a weekend. I love my weekends. Well, there you go. Good stuff. Hey, so let's... So talk me through it. You've um, Obviously, this has been going for a little bit now. What's the main, I guess, insights you've seen from the data that's come through? Well, it's quite interesting actually because um, what we, what, you know, the, the companies that are, that are on the pilot are the ones who um, know that they can make it work or are pretty sure they can make it work. Um, so the data is, is exceptional because, of course, these are companies who are early adopters and fairly uh, close to be, uh, being able to make it work. Uh, quite easily. So the, the bit that we're working on um, moving forward is actually how we support businesses that aren't so sure about how they're going to make it work and taking it through to the next level. And the research 
that we're doing through this pilot. Our pilot in Ireland is just finished. Uh, US started in April. Uh, UK started in uh, Jan in June. Um, and so the data that's coming through from all of those is actually quite exceptional. All of the companies are going, we would never go back. We, uh, this has been life-changing for us as business. And, of course, you know, globally, we've all got the war on talent. And so this gives them an advantage. 90% of the companies that are doing the pilot these days are doing it so that they can attract and retain great staff. So looking at the data, I was reading here, it's saying 63% of businesses found it easier to attract and retain talent uh, with only a four-day work week, and 78% of employees with four-day work weeks are happier and less stressed. Now, I'm interested to get into this for a second. COVID for the last, so you launched in 2018 with um, Andrew Perpetual Guardian. Um, you know, two years later, COVID hits. Two years later, what's been the headspace shift that you've seen with a bunch of different businesses now with, a, you know, there's been millions of people that have been working at home. They've got hybrid models and all the other stuff. How has, I guess, COVID changed the, the headspace of leadership with wanting to even potentially think about something like this for their companies? Yeah, well, so that's a really good point, actually. So, I mean, obviously, we're all shifting to changing the way that we work. Uh, even for those jobs where we are more physically present uh, because we are looking at how we can potentially do things differently. But the difference that we face in the workplace and this has a global thing that's here in New Zealand and um, overseas is the fact that um, it's the, what's been termed the great resignation. The power now sits with the employees as to who they're going to work and under what sort of terms and under what sort of conditions. And so, you know, we're, we're HR leaders around the world are saying that what they're finding when, when people are coming in for a job interview, they're being asked, you know, can you offer me a four-day week? What sort of flexible remote working are you offering? And this is being driven by employees, and they are going, to, they are going and working for the companies that can offer them the, the sort of workplace that they want. And this, as we, you know, as we, as we head into a recession and with what these tight employment and change, just becomes really, this is going right, well, let's get this four-day week thing going because that's how we're going to keep our people. Well, in the, in the states, I know they've they had a big push when obviously everyone was out of, uh, everyone was working from home. They had, uh, you know, I guess remote first was the only way. And when businesses started to come back, you know, businesses like Salesforce and Twitter and a couple of these these bigger crew, they said, hey, you can um, work from home forever. And they were actually using as the work from home, um, basically as. A, a leverage and bargaining tool to get better talent and you know obviously people have shifted out from the city so next thing you know you've got people that are you know running companies in san francisco but they're in a, on a farm in ohio working remotely now it's shifted back but to your point where it's now if, if it's an employee's market where they've got more options and there's an opportunity for remote and there's the opportunity for four-day work week it really and when on top of that you've got so many different businesses who can't actually get good stuff it, this feels like it truly is an emp employee's market moving forward. So do you feel that the, the, this four-day work week concept will, A, catch on, and then, B, how much of more of a magnet for better talent do you think it will be? Well, it, it certainly is catching on, and a bit, New Zealand's been a little bit slow on the uptake with it, certainly um, in, uh, in other markets around the globe and certainly up in Europe, even governments are getting on board with it. Um, but, but more importantly, and you know, for anybody out there who is a bit like, oh my God, what on earth is she talking about? 
Um, this, this, what we, uh, the way we help businesses and bring them forward in this is we help them define and improve their productivity. And by improving your productivity, you are able to reduce work time. And this is a, it's an employee-led strategy. The whole thing is led from, from the bottom. But it does give uh, businesses a chance to be, um, to, to attract the great, great staff now. But as we get further into recession, you know, it really actually makes your business a ton better. When you care about what productivity is in your business, you're able to be ahead of the competition by um, having an advantage over them that, 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 you know, that they haven't taken on board. And so just for clarity, this is the same pay for five days, but only working for four, right? So all these salaries, that's, that's so right, yeah. just get paid for four. It's like you're getting paid for five days to only work four with the trade-off being there'll be more than a 20% increase in productivity, right? Exactly. And and that's what companies find right, left and centre. Is In fact, most companies that do it find that their productivity goes up more than the 20% necessary just to stay the same. Um, and that's because, if you think about it, when you get your staff to really focus in on productivity within the business because they're going to get this true benefit of being able to have time to spend whatever they want, then they really do drill down into why your business truly exists, what is its purpose, and what are the things that, are, that, that, they, that they are doing that, that are unproductive, that, that don't get your business moving forward. Um, and, and, and the interesting thing is humans and this is a, you know, a large, you know, large part of, of what you often talk about, you know, with people, uh, you know, New Zealanders doing well that create a better New Zealand, is that when we know what we're supposed to do at work and we feel like we've got something truly to achieve, we actually feel better about the task. Mm. And so there's, you know, so there's some psychology that sits in it where we are actually creating better workplaces. People enjoy being at work. Because there's a clear mission. Yeah. It's definitely going to be you know, And it's not just some mission statement on the wall, you know. It's actually, I, I know what it is and I can feel it. Yeah, that, that, that last bit is such a massive critical thing. So if people are listening now, they want to find out more about the four-day um, four work week, where can they go? What can they do? Uh, well, they, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. Just check it out at our website, uh, fourdayweek.com. Uh, sorry, excuse me, that's the number four. Uh, she's just sounding like a chipmunk. Um, and we will be running another pilot in New Zealand uh, early next year as well. The EMA has a, um, a webinar that we are running with them on Tuesday next week. So if you do want to learn a little bit more, go onto the EMA website and find the webinar and sign up for that. And Andrew is going to be presenting at that along with a couple of other excellent presenters uh, in the wellbeing and workplace space. So, and then of course there's always Andrew's book, Four Day Week by Andrew Barnes. Feel free to uh, to, to, to 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 find that at Whitfield. Um, or download it on Audible if you're a, if you're a more digital type, you'll be able to hear Andrew read the book to you. There you go. Hey, really appreciate it. Enjoy the um, rest of the weekend. Enjoy Waiheke, and thanks for jumping in. And I'll, t- I'll talk to you soon, Charlotte. Awesome. Yeah, nice to see you, Robert. Bye. Perfect. All right, there you go. Okay, four day. So if you're listening now, if you're an employer. It's a question. Uh, text through to 3920. If you're an employer, would you offer your employees to pay them for five days they only work for? If you're an employee, if you work for someone, would you be more enticed to move shift company 
and go to a potential competitor or someone else in the marketplace if they offered you a four-day work week. So if you're an owner of the business, would you offer it and why or why not? And if you're an employee, would you shift? Yes, yes or no? Very interesting. When you look at the shifting landscape of how remote work has dramatically shifted, not even just productivity, but for the world to keep going through business, especially directly through COVID, People started working from home, they got that. Now they say I come back to the office. Some people don't want to do that. Some people like the hybrid model of maybe, you know, a couple of days a week, get some, you know, water cooler chat, get more effective with time and some other. So we definitely find our way into the middle a little bit. And I'm interested to three or four. So if you're an employee, an employer, text through 3920. Would you shift your job or would you offer it to your employees? And um, don't forget you text through on 3920. And remember at 1.30 today, we're going to be doing a one minute pitch. So you'll be able to ring up and get 60 seconds to sell you, your product, your service, absolutely free on national radio through on Today FM. After the break, we're catching up with this week's Young Buck on Today FM. The time now is 16 minutes past 12. Rebet Live. Live from Silicon Valley. The hub of the tech universe. With tips on unleashing your entrepreneurial potential. On Today FM. Welcome back to Rebet Live, episode 322 on Today FM. Live from San Francisco, Silicon Valley. My name is Rebecca Hollis. You can find your local frequency at todayfm.co.nz or you can take us with you on the go. You've got a cell phone, it goes in your pocket and you can get the Rover app. Just download that from one of your smartphone store and you're off to the races. Uh, if you want to text me through, 3920. If you want to call 0800 Today FM. All right, right now it's time for our weekly Young Bucks section segment and this week we're catching up with Ryan Porter, a year 13 student from Onslow College in Wellington. Kia ora, Jack. How are you, my friend? Thank you. How are you? I'm charging, mate. Now, you are the marketing manager um, for Rotaki for their uh, young enterprise business, and you've created a fun family card game. Tell me about it. Uh, so we've developed a product called Q vs. Cure. It's a Aotearoa conservation-focused card game. We partner with a local designer to bring the game to life. It's got beautiful artwork featuring Aotearoa birds, trees, you name it, it's there. Um, the game derives its mechanics from favourite games like P's and A's, Last Card, and there's obviously lots of changes to make it unique and, more importantly, fun and educational. Okay, so let's just rewind a bit. You're a Year 13 student and you've come up with basically a family card game. Where did this idea come from and how did it go from idea to execution? Talk me through it. Uh, so we just we started Rotaki at the beginning, beginning of 2021 and we really wanted to educate fun way to educate people through fun means and we decided what's more fun than playing a game so we created a game last year um, but this year we've decided to bring a new amount of education to the environment about the environment of New Zealand and we created Kiwi vs Kia because we really wanted to educate Farno about our environment and how how our, conserva- our conservation efforts in New Zealand. There you go so ha- talk me through the name what does uh, Kia mean? Uh, Kiore is the Tereo name for rat, so uh, it's Kiwi vs Kiore, which is like a uh, the w- the winner of the game is dubbed the Kiwi and the loser is dubbed the Kiore, and it's like the Kiwi, which is like our conservation, and the Kiore, which is like introduced pets, and it's to show that that sort of battle. Good on you. Okay, cool. All right, so you come up with a game. How do you physically go from hey, I've got an idea for um, a card game to actually doing it? Like, where do you print these things? How do you design it? Talk me through the mechanics. I'm kind of genuinely um, interested of how you go from I've got an idea for a game to actually doing the thing. Go for it. Uh, 
So it started off with a lot of emailing, um, trying to get in contact with uh, designers. We really wanted to work local, so we contacted a designer that lives near us, and she agreed to help design the game. So we we, we kind of had a, a brief that we sent through to her, and she did an amazing job bringing it to life. Uh, and then in, in regards to printing, it was basically the same thing. We found a printing company that we, we liked, uh, emailed them, and they agreed to print for us as well. So we got the designer in contact with the printer, and they, they did an amazing job along with us. There you go. Now, is this the first kind of mini like startup or little project or entrepreneur activities you, you've you've had before? Is this is this your first rodeo? Ah, uh, yeah, I would say so. It's the first time we've kind of really decided to you know take it seriously. Last year was a bit of a, a practice round for us, and this year we really we really wanted to try and go all the way and really kind of bring something that meant something. Good on you. Okay, so you've got the card game. It's called Kiwi vs Kiore, and you have locally designed. You're locally printing it. Talk me through yeah. how, how are you planning to, I guess, take over the board game market in Aotearoa, New Zealand? What's the strategy? How are you going to get your distribution? What's the current, you know, path to market? Are you doing direct to e-commerce? Like, what are you doing? How are you doing it? Um, so it's mainly just we're going through Young Enterprise. So Young Enterprise obviously has quite a significant uh, bring through young entrepreneurs. So we're using them to help market it. Um, we're using social media. Uh, you can follow us on there. And we're just sort of trying out a few things at the moment to really sort of nail down what we're, what we're, what we're about with that. Good on you. Okay, so if uh, people are listening right now and they want to potentially check the game out or maybe buy and support, and support you and the crew, where can they go to? What can they do? Um, so we have Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok uh, all on the same at, at Rotaki Official. And we also have uh, a website, rotaki.mystorby.com, where you can order from. Uh, at the moment, we're in a pre-order phase. We haven't fully launched, but we will be fully launching very, very soon. Good on you. That's exciting. Uh, where, where, how do you think this plays out in the next uh, one to three years? Um, so if it, all things going well, we hope to continue it after high school. We really think we've got, we're onto something good here. Um, we're really passionate about the issue and we feel like it's something that needs to be addressed. And so if it, if it goes well, we're planning to continue it through uh, after high school and beyond. We're all, we're all sort of agreed on that. Good on you. Now, Jack, you've done a good job at talking about it, but you keep saying the word we. You've got to give your team some props. So, so who is the we uh, yeah. in this and how, how is um, the team structured? G- give them some props, mate. Get in there. So we, we, we kind of have a bit of a flat structure. We all, we all collaborate. Uh, all decisions are equal. So we've got Finn McKenzie. He's our CEO. He's done an amazing job. Uh, we have James Merwood, who's our production manager, Sam Cooper, who's in charge of finance, and Kate Whelan, who does communications so, and human resources. Yeah. That's, our, that's, our, that's our official Sorry. Yeah. Mate, you, no, you've got a, you're a year 13 talking about human resources, mate. Jingle bells, you, you definitely, you're more structured than most businesses, mate. I'm telling you that much. So you're, you're doing yeah. well. Well, hey, best of luck for the future. I hope it all cranks. And just um, to to recap, it's Rotaki official on, on the gram or whatever if people want to go check it out. Pre-orders yeah. are live now. And um, absolutely best of luck for the future, mate. I hope you crush it. And um, uh, when, when it's all rolling, um, you know, shout us back out and we'll, you know, give some, give some uh, games away on, on air. More than happy to support, my friend. Thank you very much. There you go. There you go, Jack Porter, Year 13 student at Onslow College in Wellington. Pretty cool little um, idea there. I'm always intrigued when young Kiwis create businesses or ideas and they actually go and, and put things into it. And what has been pretty awesome on the show, especially in the last you know couple of months that we've been um, rolling with Today FM, is the 
the majority of these companies always have some type of give back charity good vibe good feel whatever like it's it's not just like hey we're going to go put this widget and chuck it on wall street and make a billion dollars it's no this thing is about the environment this thing about the community this thing about culture which makes me feel a lot more positive for the future of aotearoa new zealand so big ups jack um don't forget uh, you can text me through on 3920 the question today is if you're um as an employee would you shift your job to go somewhere else if they offered you the same pay for four days a week would you do it and if you're an employer why aren't you offering your staff four days a week? Um, and then also, don't forget, at 1.30, we've got a one-minute pitch coming up so you can ring through and get 60 seconds to pitch you, your product, your service, absolutely free to national radio. You can talk about your bakery, or maybe you've got a plumbing company, maybe you got a small little accounting firm, maybe you're a digital marketing agency, maybe, I mean, who knows? But you're more than welcome, 1.30, first one through that rings is going to be able to jump on uh, and we can have a quick little chat there. Coming up after the break, we've got business and a minute tip for you uh, before today our time with Karepe McDonald. The time now is 26 minutes past 12. Live from San Francisco. And streaming now on Facebook Live. It's Rebet Live with how to turn your passion into profit. On Today FM. There we go. 29 minutes past 12. You're tuning into Rebet Live episode 322 on Today FM. Cheers for joining in. I hope your Saturday is cruising away. If it's cold, I hope you get your feet up. I hope the fire's going. And if it's hot, like it is here in California, I hope you're, uh, you know, enjoying the sun, whatever you're doing. Uh, call me through on 0800 today FM if you need. Time now for business in a minute. Uh, we're going to make your business a little bit better in 60 seconds. So it's become very clear that with the social medias, you can get free attention out into the, into the universe to help you in your business. Well, there is a quick little tip for you if you'd like to schedule your social media posts to do it all for you while you sleep. It's a little app that I use. This isn't a paid promo, but I just personally use it myself. I think it's pretty good. It's called Buffer, B-U-F-F-E-R. And basically in one little hub, you can put through your LinkedIn or your Facebook or your Twitter or your Instagram or your TikToks or all the other things. And in one spot, you can basically preload up a whole bunch of different content, schedule it all out, and it goes out the door. You can put a little app on the phone too. So then so many people don't have social marketing teams that run their companies, and they, but they want things to go out at the right time. When is the right time for to be able to post stuff? Well, some data would say Monday to Wednesday from 6 to 9 p.m. or some might say other dates, but, you know, you can go through there. And this is a way to simply be able to do it. So the simple tip for the today is an app called Buffer, B-U-F-F-E-R. they got a free trial. You can go check it out. And it's a simple way if you, you to preload a whole bunch of posts, get it up, get on social media. You don't need to lift a finger. Pretty simple, really. Then it saves you from being like, oh, I've got to post something, and you rush, and it's not that good. You can stage it all out. And then the one thing I potentially would do if you were going to go down this route is I would block out time per week to be able to sit down, batch load it out, and be like, boom, 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 boom. There you go. That's how to get more out of your business. Pretty simple, team. Time now is 20 minutes, 29 minutes to one. Bet live. On Today FM. There we go. All right. Um, time for my three cents. Now, what this is about is, um, team, I did a little video on Instagram and on uh, on LinkedIn about it, and I realized that I was struggling just a little bit. There's always been things that have been in my head that I've said, and as I've done more of it over time, I've become more conscious and more aware of 
you know, if you say things that potentially may piss people off, or you say things that you got to be careful for. Now, I've never felt the pressure from anyone that I've partnered with to not say anything, but I have felt a responsibility of trying to do the right things. And, and I've got a little bit fearful. I've got fearful of speaking my opinion or my truth for certain things because I don't want the drama necessarily that comes with it. So what I've come to, I guess, a little bit of terms with is this idea around um, having faith in myself over the fear of others. Faith over fear. Now, what that means is, you know, so many times if you, if you look at... Um, uh, like Vincent van Gogh's or whatever, you know, he didn't even, none of his stuff was even, um, it didn't even commercialise or anything. He didn't get big or blow up until after he actually passed away. Because sometimes when you're creating things, other people aren't ready for it. And sometimes when you have to have a idea or something that you want to get out into the world, other people potentially may not be ready for it either. And I've just felt a little bit lately that I have, haven't have been as, um, forceful is not the word, but more brave enough to actually say what I'm genuinely thinking about, whatever it is. And so what I've come to is gone, I need faith in myself over fear of others. Now, how this plays out, I'm not exactly sure, um, but I know that so many people that want to create things, and it got to be, I had a really good, interesting conversation with a friend of mine who was wondering about this tall poppy thing of going, you know, are you not doing things particularly because you're fearful of, you know, being cut down? And so many people are, right? Like he definitely is. And so many people, and even for someone as, you know, um, confident as, as myself, and I feel comfortable in my abilities and my skill sets, even for me to be able to start doubting myself to be like, is this right? Should I should I be putting this out there? Whatever. You know, balancing it off tall poppy versus age. You know, I'm not in my late early 20s anymore, just getting out there and sending it. I'm in my late 30s now. And I've got a couple of kids I'm trying to, you know, trying to focus my energy on. But what I've kind of realized is, you know, don't forget what got you here. And so many people, sometimes they forget what, what got them there and they switch their style up or whatever. And next thing you know, they're not not being who they're supposed to be. So for me, for myself, I've just been thinking about a little bit lately where I need to get a little bit braver and have a bit more faith in myself with what I, what I believe and what I think about certain things. So anyway, my little three cents for today is faith over fear, team. Have more faith in yourself than the fear of others and their opinions. Now, it comes at a cost, but I think net-net, the way I kind of feel about it is for every 100 people, if you put yourself out there with who you are and what how you roll, you know, three, five people may think you suck, but the relationships and the upside and the, and the learnings that you get from the 95% of people that get value from the things that you create or put out into the world, that makes it more than, more than worth it. And I can say that firsthand, that's definitely been the case for me, as I've had amazing relationships with so many people and so many new friendships and so many different new opportunities have popped up by me being able to put my ideas out into the world. So... If you've been thinking of trying to hold yourself back, put yourself out there a little bit more. Have a bit more bravery in yourself. It's come from the guy that hasn't been brave enough lately, but as hypocritical as it is, that's what I think you should do. Anyway, team, that's what that's what's on my brain for this week. My three cents is I need more faith in myself over the fear of others. Uh, after the break, it's learn, share, repeat. Rebecca Live episode 322 on Today FM and we're streaming live on Rover. And don't forget as well, we do an exclusive little email which you can check out at rebet.com. Uh, time now is 25 minutes to one. His goal, to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. Let's go, let's go. Rebecca Live, episode 322 on Today FM. You can find us on the socials. 
Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or the TikToks. Just search for Today FM. Uh, you can ring me through at 100 Today FM or text through on 3920. Uh, up now, it is time for Learn Share Repeat, where we catch up with cool Kiwis doing good things and we try to figure out what are the best podcasts they're listening to, what are the best books they're reading, what are they kind of, where are they consuming that makes, you know, that, that adds a bit more bit more brain cells in there to make everyone smarter to think a bit differently and we're super stoked this week we have uh, the architect Gordon Moller he's the man who designed the man the legend that designed the Auckland's iconic sky tower so kia ora Gordon how are you? Kia ora how are you? I am cruising how's your Saturday going where have you where, where are you and what's going on? Um, I'm in just off Karanga Happy Road in our studio which is in the Iron Bank building and a uh, beautiful day looking out there towards the harbour so uh, that's good. I've been doing a little bit of work early this morning uh, but otherwise um, it's, it's weekend. Look at you going, hey wait, just, just recapping, you're, you're in the office on a Saturday, you must be smashing, you, you're smashing it mate, you're getting <laughs> back in there, what's going on? Oh, you never give up, you know, architecture takes over your life and I think that part of part from all the other things we do, uh, it's wonderful being an architect and be able to create things and uh, for other people and, and inhabit the environment and think about how you respect the environment with the buildings we do, so that's what we try and do pretty hard. Yeah, before we get into the book thing, maybe I'll jump there for a second. You're talking about respect the environment. It really feels that the sustainability elements of creativity mixing with commerce has, has gone up to so many levels in this in this last sort of decade or so. What's been, the, I guess, the biggest shift you've seen from maybe not architects but demands in the market or whatever it is when it comes to, you know, thinking about the environment and sustainability and stuff and how it's challenging creativity? Oh, I think that, uh, that that's been a growing awareness. Um, you know, the time that I've been practicing architecture, you can see big differences in our confidence as a country and whether we're actors or poets or writers or sports people, I think we're, we've got our own identity, whereas perhaps like 50 years ago we, we didn't have that, that self-confidence. So I think that's really important. Second thing is I think we are... Uh, we do realise how important our environment is. It doesn't matter if it's a rural environment or a natural environment or a, or a city environment. Um, you know, we live with other people. The whole, the whole world is about people. New Zealand is about people and how we inhabit our country. So I think from that point of view, it's important for any building that, that I design or us at Moller Architects design, um, it does respect the environment it's in, which might be quite varied. And even the city environment, you try and respect the buildings alongside. And the other thing too is, Sustainability is hugely important in terms of materials we use, embodied energy, uh, aiming for carbon neutrality. So um, that's on everybody's uh, mind at the moment, I think. No, I, I get that. Maybe another quick one on that would be, is there a kind of a macro alignment with Kiwi architects compared to other architects from around the world that, that that's tone is a little bit different or, or culture or vibe or feeling or, or or view on the world? Like, is there, as a collective, are Kiwi architects have a bit more of a special source with the way they kind of feel about those kind of things, intersection between creativity and culture and sustainability? Well, I think each country has its own character uh, and so its own identity. And, you, and as an architect or an artist or anybody doing something within a country, you tend to try and understand what your own country is about. Um, we were fortunate we'd done some work offshore. We did a project up in Tonga for the New Zealand government for the Chancery there and we did a tower up in Macau and we've done the Houses of Parliament at Oman. And it's interesting just uh, trying to understand the uh, environment 
in those places because, for example, in Tonga, you don't want the sun to come into the house. You want to live outside under shelter, whereas in New Zealand, you want the sun to come in. So things like that, um, things like doing work in Oman, we suddenly realised that the countries all share quite a lot of iconography in terms of culture because they're so close together and they have such a rich history. I think in terms of New Zealand architects, uh, the things we can learn are from the buildings that have been here for a long time. So uh, the Maori buildings, the Pars, the Warri, the Eating House, they're wonderful buildings that have got big porches at the front because we've got a climate that's, um, you know, it's um, fairly windy and it's reasonably wet, it's temperate. So shelter is important. And if you look at the early houses that the people who came from Britain and Europe built uh, and via India with some of the, idea, the ideas and concepts learnt there in terms of verandas and the like, are things which make some of New Zealand buildings, some New Zealand architecture unique. Uh, and I think it's also a matter of thinking about materiality, about the culture of the country and what social thinking is currently um, in view. Gordon, I'm not going to lie, mate. You, you're clearly a very smart human being. I think you might be on the wrong show. You're a bit, your IQ is just a bit too high for us here. Hey, no, I want to get into this. Actually, this is the perfect segue to figure out how you're getting so smart. Are you more of a book or a podcast type person, Gordon? Well, books probably. I like nonfiction. I don't read many novels, I have to say. So books, that, um, I love biographies, autobiographies and nonfiction. So a book that I think has been wonderful to read because I'm so interested is the one, called Sapiens, A History of Mankind, which is Yuval Noah Harari, you know, and it's about the evolution of the species. And I'm always intrigued to find out because it's hard to know exactly when the human species evolved. And there's lots of different views and they keep on finding fossils and the like which modify their thinking. So that's one book. But I just like books like um, the current one I'm currently reading is Blue Blood by Andrea Vance, which is... Um, I'm not necessarily uh, saying I'm sort of into the National Party, but what I am saying, I'm really interested to see how politics works, how the reality and day-to-day of politics works. So I also read John Key's book, but other books that I like to read, Stephen Fry, George Harrison, Dawn French. So those are things that I really like because they're real-time. It's about Mm. what people do with themselves in that position. Uh, Podcasts, well... I occasionally listen to podcasts. I tend to prefer to listen to live radio. I just love radio. And... um, some of the ones that do go onto mod, a podcast are things like Media Watch, which I think is a terrific program, the Radio National. Um, BBC um, uh, Science and Action is another one that you can get on a podcast. I think that's great. And it's, again, it's sort of thinking about evolution and about current science. Um, so some of those ones. And then there's other shows you can listen to, music shows that on podcasts. So I find those uh, useful, but I, I really am more of a live radio. I listen to radio in the middle of the night if I can't sleep or when I get up early in the morning. So there's a variety of ways I think you can um, amass knowledge, but it's always stuff you want to hear about and know about every day, I think. Man, you're, you're well-read as well, mate. I'm, I'm quite, I'm, extra, I'm even more impressed. So I want to ask a question around the Blue Blood thing, right? It's going into the politics that were, I think you were saying from um, Andre Vance's book. Yeah. What is the biggest insight around politics which you didn't know before you read the book, which you've now realised, huh, is that how it works? Yeah, well, um, you know, it's a democratic society. The, they're elected as the, uh, as the government. Uh, I just think it's interesting that 
really a lot of the things they do every day, although it's very high pressure. I've got a great respect for politicians. I think they have a huge workload. But you see, they just do a lot of things like we we do. You know, go down and have breakfast. Uh, you know, they tear out to the cafe for breakfast. But they're in the meantime, they're doing lobbying and discussing, and there's massive amounts of lobbying. So I suppose that's one thing that I've learnt how the deals are done behind the behind the doors, uh, and when the deals aren't done, and who's manipulating who. Uh, so I, th- I just found that really interesting because. Um, you think that um, you know Parliament is all very formal, and certainly it is when it's in the House. Although they sometimes get at each other in the House, but you know a lot of the a lot of the real uh, politics goes on behind closed doors. I think. Yeah, it's um, I, I love that idea. Uh, it's called I call it story behind the story. Like you see the thing in public, yeah. what's actually happening and how how it works. And I've I haven't got into the full full depths of political at. at that kind of level, but from uh, talking to various people that have been in there, it definitely feels there's very, very much a difference between what you see publicly and what happens privately. Um, I'm keen to actually yeah. ask before you go. Obviously, this is um, we're celebrating the 25th year anniversary. When you sat there and you did, you have a whiteboard. Were you under? Were you under a tree having a little Pinot Noir? How did the genesis of the shape of the sky tower come about? What was the thing you were like? Yep, that's going to do it. Where'd that come from? What was that spark? So, so um, I was flying from Toronto to Los Angeles with my client for the Sky Today, a guy called Martin Lecter, a fantastic guy. And uh, we'd been doing a bit of research, and what have you, and uh, we're having a glass of wine on the plane. And I knew it. Me, I knew alcohol was involved. I knew it. That was my point. <laughs> alcohol was involved. Okay, continue, continue. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, he said, what's the tower going to look like? Well, I always carry a Moleskine sketchbook with me and a thing called a clutch pencil, which architects use, which is a, just the way it holds the lead. And it was a slightly nice, quite a shape and very slim pencil that I use all the time for drawings as I sketch all the time. And I just said to him, well, I think it needs to be slim and elegant and it needs to reach for the sky. So that was the idea. We call that a party. Architects talk about a party, P-A-R-T-I. And that's the germ of the idea. But, of course, once we started designing it, the whole thing becomes hugely complex. Uh, but we basically followed that line, and, and the drawing was shaped by hand. You know, we draw with pencils. Of course, it goes very quickly into CAD and, and the 3D modelling of the like. But that was where the idea started from. But it was a massive amount of work uh, working with the structural engineers and the and lectures, the builders, speakers with the structural engineers. And it was just fantastic working through that process, which was spread over some months, and then we built it over 27 months. Jingle bells. All right. What was the trickiest thing logistically to try and get finished that you wouldn't have thought would have been the biggest problem? Like, was it fire exit stairs? Was it the the wind? Was it the, like, was there something that was a little thing that you didn't see coming that was like, that took so much bandwidth, but that you wouldn't think it would have? Um, well, yeah, I, I the, the fire thing is we hold 980 people in the tower at any one time and it's, there's a refuge in the building, so we hold them in very safe areas. That took quite a lot of nutting out, I think, um, because uh, that's you keep them safe. You, you don't want to actually run them downstairs because that's not a good idea if there's some problem. So they're into a safe haven actually up in the tower. Um, I think one of the things that, uh, that got me going a bit was that towards the end of the project, we just almost finished and we were... Doing all that we did, all the laid safe systems up on the lower part of the tower of the mast. The mast is 90, 90 metres high, and uh, the then I'd been I was reporting to the uh, the chief executive at the time uh, of Sky City, uh, Evan Davies, and I was just saying to him, "Look, what's what we're doing?" He said, "Oh, I'd like to come up, go up there," and I said, uh, uh, "Yep, no, I can arrange that." And he looked up and he said, "We're going to the top," and I said, "Yeah." 
so um, that's what we did. We went up through the mast all the way up to the last 30 metres and then we had to get outside and climb up the rungs all the way to the top where the lightning conductor is. So uh, that got me going good, but it was a pretty amazing view from there, I can tell you. That's that's incredible. So in, um, in life, I, I love the idea whenever I think about something the, where I get the joy is when I see it manifested physically into an event or an idea or a thing or a business or whatever it may be. The joy isn't from the conception. The joy is from sitting back and watching something that was in your head that creatively got turned into something real physically. Uh, like over the last 25 years, every time you go over the Harbour Bridge, is there a little bit inside of you and you just look over and see that thing and you're like, yeah, I did that. Like, do you get like, do you just flex? Do you have a mental flex for your entire life with how awesome you are for doing something so awesome that you can see that big? I wouldn't say that, <laughs> but we do. We we have enjoyed the tower, and uh, I'm looking at it straight right now from our office uh, window. But um, yeah, it's a thing that uh, we we had a lot of fun doing, and it's a good reference point. Our understanding it was quite a complex brief road, but you know, in terms of observation and communication. But my view was it was a really good way to understand the isthmus of Auckland. You can see the 50 volcanic cones, you can see the edges, you can see the two harbours, the gulf. And secondly, um, you can observe it from a distance. So it's quite a good reference point because sometimes in parts of Auckland it's quite hard to know exactly where you are, but the tower can give you a reference point. So from that point of view, we had a clear idea uh, that we wanted to achieve those things. And I think from that point of view, it's worked pretty well. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's very satisfying to be there. And I think what's really good is after 25 years, it's still in great condition. Sky City look after it really well. Um, the materials we use, we use very high-strength concrete, uh, which is not, which has re- retained its uh, great condition. Um, it's very safe tower. The huge amount of work went into the safety issues of how we manage it. And, and in certain situations, it's all double-glazed and, uh, you know, all those sorts of things. So... I think the efforts that went in by the whole of the design team, because it was a huge, huge team. I mean, not, not just the architects, um, but I think that just what you were saying before, it's architect, what architects do. You know, we try and create things in relation to what people's needs are and respond to that. And seeing it built is just always wonderful. Let's be honest, mate. You just wanted the flex to have the biggest tower in the city. I know what it's like, mate. Good on you, mate. It feels good. Um, no, and quickly, when you did it, I'm guessing you probably had no issues uh, finding enough jib to be able to help with the build. There was no jib issues. With, uh, with that. There was, there was no nothing. jib there. <laughs> no, no jib there. Um, so before you go, I'm interested to ask this. You are obviously very creative. You understand commercial, the intersection between culture. What do you feel of your in your existence is the most beautiful building in Aotearoa that best represents Aotearoa? Out of all the buildings in the country, what would you pick? Um, well, I think the uh, I think the Mara Meeting House is pretty the most amazing building. Uh, and there's one, you know, whenever I go to them and you, know, you get invited in, just with the decoration and the craft and the the stories, um, you know, the, the, the ridge is the backbone of the building. Uh, and there's a wonderful, um, if you ever down that way, there's the most amazing marae down on Kaikoura, uh, which is worth going to because it's got incredible sculptures, contemporary sculptures, which are Maori sculptures, and it's looking at the sea. And they've got this wonderful meeting house, but these sculptures are around, there's probably five or six of them. Um, and they were they were from that marae that... Um, Anna Whenua there and um, uh, Cliff Whiting, I think, from Tapapa was involved. So that's pretty. That's one of the most amazing places to go to. There you go. Hey, really appreciate you joining us. Congrats on the 25th anniversary and for the next 25 and so just uh, keep flexing on when you see how awesome your tower is. So well done you, mate. Awesome. Enjoy the weekend. 
Okay. Thank you. What a champion. There you go. Uh, Guatemala, the man who designed the iconic Auckland's uh, Sky Tower. The books that he was reading was Sapiens, basically the history of mankind. Uh, Sapiens, Sapiens, sorry. And uh, Blue Blood by Andrew Vance. And the podcast was uh, a live radio media watch and BBC Science in Action. Man, very challenging job that must be to try and have these things in your head but then build it up like hundreds of metres high all over Aotearoa. It's insane. Uh, Coming up after the break we've got Ask Rhett. You can text me through any question you'd like. uh, 3920 or call through on 0800 today FM. The time now is 6 minutes to 1. And now Ask Rhett. Alrighty, there we go. Almost at the end of hour number one, five minutes to one o'clock. My name is Rebecca Hollis. This is Rebecca Live, episode 322 on Today FM. You can find your local frequency at todayfm.co.nz or take us with you when you're out and about on your Saturday cruise and you can download the free Rover app from your smartphone. You get in the app store, you go in there, and it's done. Uh, if you want to get in touch, you can text me through on 3920. And now it's time for Ask Rebecca. Uh, basically, if you've got a question, you text through and I try and answer it. And I can't guarantee they will be right, but I definitely try to give it a nudge. Uh, first question has come through from James from Auckland. Says, Kia ora, Robert. What are your juiciest thoughts and out there are, and business ideas for a massively improved environment, climate, water, resources, etc.? Big call, mate. Big call. Uh Biggest bi- business ideas that can execute in Aotearoa. So um, I am definitely probably biased with this answer but I'm going to do it anyway. I've got a friend of mine his name is Mike Hart. He is the CEO of a company called uh, Sierra Energy and what it does it uses gasification technology uh, which turns municipal waste, so just like household rubbish into hydrogen with zero emissions. So let me read that again. It can basically mean that it can take household rubbish, turn it into energy and power with zero emissions. And so the idea or concept with why he came to um, Aotearoa looking um, potentially of bringing the technology here was um, this idea or thought of like how could you make Aotearoa the world's zero first zero waste nation where basically these machines can go through. I believe a 20-ton machine can do a day will do about uh, for a town of 40,000 or whatever it is. Um, something like that is chunky, right? It needs to be something that's scalable and big. Um, and that company specifically, uh, this is not sponsored by anyone, but this is just literally something that I know quite a bit about. Um, the first round, the Series A, was actually led by Bill Gates's uh, Breakthrough Energy Ventures, the clean tech en- energy company. So um, that is one really, really chunky thing is is, en- is energy and and particularly waste. And when they um, an, a, quite an interesting insight is they were using the uh, the same technology in a, a army barracks in the states as a test because when Trump was under, they wanted this word of um, resilient re- resiliency or reliability to be able to um, have. Uh, basically all the energy on site. So they're using solar or this or that. What if they could actually turn rubbish into and into fuel for to, to fund do cars or whatever it may be as well. So that was probably the big, big chunky one which I think could be massive and huge. Um, you know, when you're in Aotearoa and it's only a country of five million and you've got a, a world of billions, you need something that is scalable, right? It needs to be creativity that can scale that we can literally try and test it the same way that FPOS, the same way we did the other stuff. We need to be that test bed for bigger things which can scale out. Obviously, we can't solve any of the global world problems with the manufacturing or whatever, but 
IP and creativity and ideas and concepts and products and services that can start here can get blueprinted and white labeled out. So um, I always think about, uh, say for Aotearoa, these ideas that, you know, what can we create local that can go global? What can we do there? That's the way to do it. So that's a little thing that I would think is probably around energy. Uh, any feedback, love to hear your thoughts. Coming up on the next hour, we've got a whole bunch of good stuff. Um, right next, we're going to have news, sport, and, and weather. And don't forget as well, you can check out rebet.com and um, up, uh, subscribe for a exclusive little newsletter. On the other side of the hour, we're going to have Restaurant Association, Marie Boudoir, Tall Poppy Profiles. We've got many, we've got a bunch. It's going to be good. Time now is, it's coming on 1 o'clock, team. See you after the break. Rebet Live. Hour number two, Rebet Live episode 322. We're slowly getting better, team. We're slowly getting better. Uh, we talk about three things on the show, commerce, community, culture, with an overarching goal, I just believe very firmly. I'm obviously here in San Francisco and in, in Silicon Valley, but super simple idea, team. New Zealand as a country, we win when New Zealanders win. So I want to help more Kiwis win. Then they do big things, then they inspire more people, then the world changes and get a lot, lot better. That's just what I think my little pipe can do to make it one degree for good. Coming up on the show this hour for a bit, live episode 322 is, in just a moment we're catching up with uh, the Restaurant Association CEO, Marie Boudoir, on a new scheme highlighting good hospitality businesses. Boom, that's going to be good. Uh, this week for our Tall Poppy Profile, we're catching up with Blair Hesp, uh, and then we've got Paul Conway rolling up. He is the Chief Economist at the Reserve Bank of Aotearoa, New Zealand. He's going to be joining me after 1.30, and before 2 o'clock, we talk with human rights. Uh, we talk human rights with Anne-Marie Brock. Um, yeah. That's what we've got coming up. It's going to be good. I Take me through on 3920. And don't forget, in 25 minutes at 1.30, we're going to do a little thing called a one-minute pitch. The first company to ring through at 1.30, as soon as I say go, you're going to be able to have 60 seconds to pitch you and your company live on air all around Aotearoa, New Zealand, for free. So if you've got an awesome product or service, get prepared, because in 26 minutes, you're going to have a shot to jump on with me and talk about your business. All right, let's get into it. It's four minutes past one. His goal, to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebette Live. Call 0800 Today FM. A new scheme run by the hospitality industry will single out good employers. HospoCred. It aims to provide a way to let customers know whether a business is paying staff fairly and providing decent working conditions. I love this. This is awesome. Uh, the Restaurant Association of New Zealand, RANZ, will interview employers to determine how they treat workers. The association chief executive joins me now. Her name is Marissa Bidois. Kia ora, Marissa. How are you? Kia ora. Let's go. How's your Saturday bubbling? Where are you and what's going on? Um, well, look, I'm just out um, around Albany Way, um, the sun's shining, and yeah, it's a gorgeous day. So yeah, just enjoying it, um, have had some breakfast with the family, um, so yeah, a nice start to the weekend. There you go. Okay, well, hey, I appreciate you jumping on. I know you're a very busy lady. So um, where did this idea for Hospital come about, and how does it how does it work? Talk me through it. Yeah, sure. So basically, this idea has really come about from our members, so it's business owners, um, who are running businesses in hospitality wanted a way that they could um, stand out, I guess, from the rest of um, businesses out there. 
we do have a skill shortage in hospitality as well. So it's, it's another way to sort of signal that these businesses are um, committed to best practice and um, training and, and all of those sorts of things. So it really was a, a program that was um, brought about by our members, essentially. And it really attempts to, yeah, highlight, recognize those businesses that are going above and beyond. There you go. Okay, so if you look at, um, you know, they've got like Glassdoor and stuff in the States where, where staff can come on and, and, and do reviews. You've got the Yelps of the world. Mm. You've got Google, you know, ratings and all the stuff as well. Um, mm. I think with the New Zealand, you've got Qualmark and stuff within the tourism sort of sector. So is the, the concept yes. here being proactive for good businesses to stand up from from the pack? Like how, like how does it, um, who, who do you think this is mainly sort of targeted at that would want to basically get the, the, the HOSPO credit? I'm guessing it's a, a stamp or a certification or something. Talk me through that side. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So it is. It is basically a recognition. Um, it is um, a badge, so to speak, that they'll be able to display, um, you know, on their front doors, um, also in their recruitment ads, um, just to signal that they, they're a business that are, you know, following standards and going above and beyond, actually. Mm. And um you know, there are steps to kind of grow this as well. So it's starting off, you know, reasonably straightforward. But I see this um, as a starting point and it will continue to develop over time where, you know, we may include um, an online aspect where people can review businesses. Um, you know, the, we're really in the beginning stages and it's the start of a platform um, that our members are just really excited about and really looking forward to. Um, to working their way through, you know, and it shows the commitment to training, um, to processes within your business as well. Cause we dive not only into employment practices, but it's also looking at, um, financial processes because we want businesses to be sustainable, um, across the board, you know, um, good mm. business are those businesses that can be in business for a while too. Well, I, th I think the, the awesome thing about that is, uh, Marissa, is you've got blueprints that exist in different industries and verticals with so much different insights mm. on how that can sort of build out, which is super cool. So, you know, if, if I mm. own a, a, a bar or a bakery or something, I'm looking to get it. What does, what elements, when you've obviously thought about it for the certification or the badge or the tick that you're sort of talking about, what are the elements mm. that go into, I guess, the judgment f for it of how you dictate what is good and, and what isn't? What are the, what are the elements? Yeah, that's a great question. And really, it does work through, um, you know, employment processes. It works through um, workforce development, um, business policies, um, financial management, um, training and professional development. And it's a series of questions um, that a business needs to work through, but also providing, you know, evidence of um, policies, procedures, um, financial documents as well. And an element of this is also speaking directly with the owner and also um, some of their team as well, just to work through that side of the business as well. So it's quite a thorough process. And we have worked with, um, you know, labor inspectors and um, other experts from various fields to work out, you know, what are, what is best practice and what should we be aiming for um, when working through these processes. So we've had a lot of help along the way too, to kind of craft what is a good process. Well, I'm also imagining as well, Marissa, is the amount of data you're going to be collecting across all these different things with processes and policies mm. and financial stuff. That's going to be real interesting mm. insights to be able to put back out into the market in sort of not even real time, but, you know, quarterly reports or whatever it is. So you can have a bit more of a yeah. state of the union with how things are bubbling away. That's 
that's quite an mm. interesting thing, especially when it intersect with we were talking before with um, around the four day work week. With it's now such an employees market because they've got so many more mm. options where they can go, and the, as hospitality companies are screaming out for it, is part of the genesis yeah. or the thinking from them long term trying to shift the thinking or the actual way that the whole industry is actually done for better relationships between employers and employees? Yeah, absolutely. That That's a big part of it as well. And, you know, um, as I mentioned before, we do have a skill shortage in hospitality currently. And, you know, it's kind of looking at how we can change the narrative around um, hospitality businesses as well. Unfortunately, we do, you know, see some pretty terrible stories coming out in the media, um, you know, for those businesses that aren't doing such a great job at following standards. Well, this is a way to highlight those businesses that are doing well, because there's certainly more of those businesses out there that are committed to, you know, their people, they, they want to do good business, and, and they're really doing their best and their utmost to ensure that they are following these standards. So in a way, it's kind of highlighting those businesses that are committed to that practice, that are committed to their people. Now, if someone attempts to get a, a hospital cred, they've got good intentions, but potentially they, they suck at some stuff. Is there, uh-huh. are you, or basically, are you passing on the different, like, partners for them to be able to upskill in the different areas to sort of loop backgrounds? So there becomes an ongoing educational piece, too, for those that want to get it but are working on their way? Yeah, absolutely. And I think yeah, that's nice. sort of a really exciting part of the program as well, is, like, the opportunity to work with those businesses who, you know, maybe are thinking that they're ticking all the boxes but are missing a few things here and there, you know, that's where we can get in and assist them and, and really help to, um, you know, improve their processes in the business as well. So that's a really key area um, that our members and, you know, the team at the association, we're all really excited about and, and looking forward to kind of working with those businesses who might need a little bit more help to get up to the standards to hold the accreditation. Yep. And so how long does it take to get? So if you, you know, if there's a bunch of, especially people within business that are, that are listening to this, mm-hmm. um, how long does the process take in the hospitality game to, to get the hospital cred, uh, I guess, accreditation? Yeah, well, we know that business owners are busy. Like we work with them every day and we know many of them are time poor. Um, and so we've tried to make the process um, as, you know, I guess attainable and as reachable as possible while maintaining those standards. So, you know, if you're a business who's already, you know, feeling like you've got really good, robust um, processes in place, um, then you could potentially be accredited within, you know, three to four weeks as we work through all the paperwork. However, if you do need to take a little bit longer, or you need to kind of invest in a few different areas in the business to reach the standards, well, it could take you maybe six months or potentially even longer, just depending where you're at in terms of your business growth and the processes that you have in place. So, you know, it's quite varied. But if you are, as I said, if you're a business that is meeting the marks currently, you can get accredited reasonably quickly. Mm, very cool. All right, this is, yeah, I, I just love the, I guess, transparency and accountability when it gives good players in the market a chance to differentiate themselves from other other players in the market to, as, a, as a stamp of like, hey, we're trying to do good here and see we're not only doing it, we're covering this, 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 which is which is really cool. And for those companies that have good intentions but potentially have, have you know, got a few little blind spots in the company, it gives them a mini sort of hospitality business warrant a fitness type thing for them to go and actually make stronger businesses. Um, before we get, Marissa, yeah. I was actually um, keen to ask you, you were saying, you know, there's obviously a big, pretty big skills so- shortage happening right now. Mm. How do you think this this plays out and, and how do you think we can make it less of a, 
um, a stress fest for everyone trying to get staff? Like, how do you think this plays out? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. And I don't know if it's a simple answer, to be honest. Um, you know, I think in hospitality in particular, um, we have had a skill shortage, um, particularly in the, the chef space, which has now extended out to our kind of restaurant and cafe managers as well. But this has been ongoing in our sector for, you know, a number of years. And I think, uh, well, COVID sort of exacerbated that because we have been, you know, reliant on overseas help to, um, you know, support many of our businesses and, and get the workforce that we need. And I think with that essentially um, being turned off in many cases, no holiday worker visas coming through for the last two years, it's really put a lot of pressure on our industry. Um, just to give you an example, like um, around uh, 28% of the industry was made up of, you know, overseas workforce before the pandemic. So, you know, that's a huge number to suddenly not be able to access in your business um, mm. in terms of that workforce help. So it's really created an opportunity for us to look at, um, you know, the industry, look and see some of the things that we can we could potentially do as a sector. Um, and programs like Hospital Cred are something that, you know, we see as helping to lift standards within the industry. I think it's also about um, ensuring that people can see a career pathway through hospitality as well. That's not the beyond and, and end all, but there are genuine and really fulfilling careers to be had within hospitality. Um, and as part of the hospital program, we actually have businesses committing to explaining that to their people as well. So part of it is mapping out, hey, this is how you can move through the industry. And if your goal is to one day own your own restaurant, here's what you need to do and here's how we can help you on that journey. So, you know, it's creating those pathways, I think, that that are clear. But in the other sense as well, it's also reminding people that, you know, not everyone is going to consider hospitality as a career option. But at the same time, we welcome those people as well. It's a great industry where you can work part-time and, you know, pick up a, sh a few shifts here and there. Um, it's really flexible in that way in terms um, of industries. I, I don't think like any other industry, actually. So I think those are some of the things that we've identified within ourselves that we can lean into as a sector. I get it. Hey, really appreciate you uh, joining the show, Marissa. Um, and best of luck with Hospital Credit Rolls Out. For all the business owners out there, if you're in the hospitality game, check it out. Um, I'm sure... I mean, Marie, Marissa, you probably tell me, uh, where can they go to if they want to check out more about Hospital Cred? Give the website a plug. Yeah, sure. It's the Restaurant Association's website. That's restaurantnz.co.nz. Check it out. All the information is there. And um, if you have any issues, give us a ring and we can talk you through it. Done and dusted. Enjoy the rest of the weekend, Marissa. Thanks for joining me. Appreciate your time. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. Rock and roll. There you go. Uh, very lucky we get so many weapons on the show. Uh, we had guy designed Sky Tower, and we just had the chief executive from the, rest, uh, the restaurant association, Marissa Bidwa, talking about uh, hospital cred. So if you're a business owner now, uh, go check it out. Get the hospital cred thing in. Interestingly enough, where my brain went to with it was thinking of if it's like a business warrant of fitness checks, particularly within hospo. I'm guessing you know most small business owners, you know, I'll tell you, it's you know 97 percent of small businesses in New Zealand are small businesses with staff under 20. That means that the majority of people have to do everything. So all the systems and processes and employment stuff and the business policies and financial management and the procedures. Uh, there's lots of you can't be good at everything, team. So I guess what I'm trying to say is maybe you should try and do it. If you're in the hospitality game, try and do it to see where you can actually make your business a little bit better to differentiate from this, the crowd. And then when you do that, 
maybe and when you've got a, a market that's got many skill shortages everywhere, you'll be able to bring some better talent into the into your organisation. So very cool. Appreciate time for coming coming through there. Uh, Dave, in 13 minutes, team, or 12 minutes now, it's just gone uh, 1.18, 12 minutes we're going to have a one-minute pitch. That means in 12 minutes you can ring up, and the first person to call through at 12.30 is going to get on the air, and you get a one-minute pitch for your business. 60 seconds to sell your product, your service, Talk about how awesome your company is. Get some free props. You know, make a bit of extra money on a Saturday if you're out and about. And uh, even if you're a freelancer, whatever it is, you're a photographer, videographer, whatever it is, copywriter, anything, all welcome. And 12 minutes we're doing today's one-minute pitch. After the break, we're speaking um, with a weapon that is a tall poppy profile. We like to profile Kiwis doing good things. It's going to be coming up. Time now is... 18 minutes past one. The show that loves tall poppies. Repeat live. Here's this week's tall poppy profile. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody's hands go up. Everybody's hands go up and they stay there for a bit live, episode 322. Before we get into the tall poppy profile, I just need to, I need to just address something really quickly, team. Um, Brian, can you just quickly play that ad that we just heard at halftime? I know you're not supposed to in the show play an ad, but let's just... And you know what I Okay, let's listen to a seat. This is like Cars at Turner's Drum and Bass. That's so good. Hi. Okay, so just on that, right, I think that is genius and great, but I just want to... <laughs> I just love the fact that they just drop like full. They would have had a new music producer genuinely, creatively doing a full drum and bass doof doof on that. And so, it's so good. See, if someone was on to see, okay, I'm gonna give a free marketing idea, Bryn. If you're the if, if the Turner's marketing people listening to this, what I would do is take the audio off that and cars, and then you do a super cut on TikTok of all the different cars that you're selling, and then you link it back to it, and then you and then they can or they're all the different locations. Each location does their own Turner's car thing with the same track, but then highlighting the cars that they've got in their spots. See, free idea, free IP. That that will cost you. It'll cost you nothing, Tim, because I'm here to add value. All right, let's get into the Tall Poppy Profile. This week for Tall Poppy Profile, we're joined by Blair Hesp. He's the Principal Consultant, um, First in Human and Managing Director at Canic Medical Communications. Uh, kia ora, Blair. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. There you go. How was your Saturday bubbling down south? Are you in Dunners or Chicho? What are you up to? Uh, down, in, down in Dunners today. got a eight-year-old's birthday to deal with, so it's been pretty busy. Oh, there you go. Dunners, mate. Dunners. Uh, well, let's just ask the big question today, mate. Why are you living in Dunedin? What are you doing, mate? What are you, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's a good question, which I think a lot of people ask. Um, Dunedin's a great city, uh, I think, if you've got a young family. Um, but obviously with the university down here and stuff in our line of work, um, a lot of very smart people doing very cool things. Um, and a lot of people who kind of find themselves doing sort of postgraduate sort of stuff in the medical school and then kind of end up at a bit of a loose end uh, once yep. they finish up their, their studies uh, because there are plenty of physicians, say, doing a PhD or something like that. Not a lot of jobs in New Zealand for um, yep. people with PhDs in medical science. So um, we, we pick up all that great talent and uh, put them to work. There you go. So basically you've got a whole bunch of weapons with PhDs, uh, medical science, all yep. down down and done is working on a bunch of life-saving yep. stuff and you've been doing COVID vaccines, household name cancer drugs. Like talk me through what it is you're doing, how you're doing it, and, and we'll go from there. 
mean, the easiest way to kind of explain what we do uh, quickly is um, we take all the really complicated clinical trial data and all that sort of stuff that the drug companies are generating. They're generating huge amounts of data. Um, and like if you go into Dunedin Hospital and you go, hey, look, you're a, you're an oncologist, you're treating patients with cancer, do you want to get, get involved with this clinical trial? I mean, every doctor's going to go, yeah, absolutely, because I, I want to get in there and, and do whatever I can for my patients. Um, and then you come along you know, a couple of years later and go, okay, we've done the trial now, we need you to write it up. And they go, okay, how long is that going to take? Um, and they've gone, I'm busy treating patients and I don't have time to work with a guy in America and a guy in the UK and a guy in Japan and cat herd everybody. Um, so that's what we do is we come in and kind of help expedite uh, the publication of and getting all that information out into the public domain. Um, because what a lot of people forget about as well is, you know, if you're, you're in a clinical trial or maybe one of your relatives or a friend's in a clinical trial, um, you want that, you know, that data that needs to contribute to something. You want to get that data and that information out there for all those other patients and all those other doctors treating those patients to um, do something about it. So uh, that's our job, to make that sort of stuff happen. There you go. Okay, so how does it work practically? So doctors engage with the trials, they get a bunch of data, they don't have yep. the bandwidth yep. to be able to do all of the, the admin and the back-end stuff to be able to get these, I guess, yep. papers and, and things to market. Mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. you have a team that essentially works hand-by-hand -hand with, with all the existing data, and then you, you put that out into the market for the world to see to try and get more of the info out to save more lives, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a whole lot of regulations around that in particular um, because, of course, you know, the people who pay us are, uh, are pharma companies, so they need to be kept at arm's length. Um, and then we need to make sure that, as much that the doctors behave themselves and don't start mm. sticking their hand out or asking for favours or anything like that. Um, so sometimes we kind of describe ourselves as high-class secretaries where we call up, jump on jump on a Zoom call or whatever with the, with the docs. They go, look, I've got like half an hour, mate. Can I just tell you I want you to do this, that and the other? off you go we we beaver away put everything together make it all nice and pretty send it back to them they just have to jump in sort of provide some feedback um leave us to it and we can do all that out here in new zealand while they're often in the northern hemisphere they come back in the morning and everything's done for them um so we can make things happen a lot faster than if we just left the docs to kind of get to it themselves and I'm guessing from a pharmaceuticals element, they're, they're thinking, hey, if these get to market faster, we get more products out quicker, which means we can save more lives and, and make more money and whatever, right? Yep. So this is actually, it's expediting the process yep. of whatever, just because there's the, like there. That's a, and so this is, does this type of business exist elsewhere in the world kind of like this? Or is this kind of a bit of a special thing that you've just collected all these weapons together and you're just doing damage? Like, like how big is this thing? Uh, it's a, last time I checked, there was a, um, billions of dollars. It's actually really big over in the US and, and the UK in particular. And the, and the one thing I should I should point out with this stuff too is, you know, people kind of go, oh, big pharma. Well, well, the thing is with big pharma, like some of the stuff that we work on, you're talking 20 billion US dollars a year in sales. So Jeez. they want everything absolutely above board because nobody wants any skeletons in that closet that's going to put that at risk. So that's, that's part of our job as well, is to make sure everything stays absolutely above board, absolutely on point, no no shady stuff at all. Um, but the, the thing out here in New Zealand is, I guess with COVID in particular, um, everybody ended up on a Zoom call. Um, so where there were kind of some barriers where like the guys that we work with over in the UK go, this is great. You know, we, we don't want to talk to you in the middle of the day. We're busy. We want to talk to you in the morning. We want to talk to you at night. Um, and then they just come into work and there's like a whole day's worth of work done overnight. And they kind of go, do, do you guys, do you guys sleep? Because you're always online when we want to talk to you. 
and then all this work gets done overnight and we're 24 hours ahead of where we thought we were going to be. Um, so what we're sort of right, the, the advantage of the advantage of New Zealand is that we can do stuff overnight for the northern hemisphere. But the other thing that's kind of come become clear is, as you say, we've got some very bright people working for us, and we can outcompete purely on quality, and and kind of that overnight delivery side of things is a bit is a bit of a bonus for our clients as well. Well, I think let's cut to the chase, mate. I think the reason why it's working is because they trust New Zealanders because we are trusted and we're awesome. We're doing a good job. They can't be trusted yep. with you. It's basically it's saying don't trust Americans, trust Kiwis, all right? And that's from seen from a Kiwi <laughs> over in the stand. <laughs> no, but I definitely know what you mean, especially with the um, the time zone changes, especially like even at the moment. I mean, yep. New York's eight hours ahead, so it actually genuinely is yep. kind of overnight. Um, hey, I really appreciate you coming on the show. How do, where does the future look for, for you and the company? How does this play out over the next three to five years? Uh, growing a lot, very, very quickly. <laughs> Which go. is why, why we've just opened up a, an office in Christchurch to try and find more people. We can't find enough uh, good people, and we've got kind of a, a, an even more specialised sort of thing based on um, a special skill set that a few of us have uh, around the hardcore pharma, technical pharmacology that not many people can do overseas. So, I mean, we're on a pretty, pretty good trajectory uh, and, and looking to expand at a rate of knots. And right. just, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're in New Zealander and you've, you you know you're working in postgraduate science, to be able to be able to get in and do the sort of stuff that we do is just kind of the best thing since sliced bread. Incredible, mate. Hey, really appreciate you joining us, Blair. Best of luck for the for the weekend and for the company and pushing things forward and doing some great things and and dirty old dance. I didn't know anything good came out of Dunedin except Ian Taylor and Cal Panaho, but no, clearly now we've got <laughs> another one. So hey, it's um it's awesome, bro. Good on you, man. Well done. Great, thank you. What a champ. There you go. Okay, team, we've talked about it. The time is 1.30. The first person to ring up on 0800 Today FM. If you've got a business, one-minute pitch, you get 60 seconds to be able to come online, talk about you, your company, uh, what you're doing. Uh, 0800 Today FM, 863-293, and you get one minute to pitch your company, your business, whatever it is you're doing. Ring in right now, and after the break, first one through, jumps on the line, and we'll see in a sec, team. The time now is 1.30. Ring on through, 0800 today, FM, one minute pitch, go. Rebet Live. Live from Silicon Valley. The hub of the tech universe. With tips on unleashing your entrepreneurial potential. On Today FM. All right, we're cruising. It's 26 minutes to 2 o'clock for Beat Live episode 322. Team, team, it's time for the one-minute pitch. 60 seconds to sell you and your company. First up on the line, we have Johnny from Tauranga. Kia ora, Johnny. How are you? Yeah, kia ora. I'm good, thank you. My man, good stuff, bro. Hey, so what we're going to do is I've got a timer here. It says one minute. I'm going to push go. I'm going to say go. You just flip and you do your thing. You sell you. And then at 10 seconds, I'm going to say 10 seconds. And as soon as it hits a minute and the alarm goes off, uh, Bryn's going to just take your microphone off and you'll be de- you'll be deleted. So basically, right. you've got to you've got to wrap it up quick at the ten second mark. Are you ready to go, Johnny? I'm ready to roll. Yeah. Okay. Three, two, one. Send it. Hi, my name's John Stevenson. I'm from Green Angels NZ. We supply railway sleepers and seconds in paving, um, primarily railway sleepers from Kiwi Rail, not fake sleepers from Bunnings. <laughs> Our sleepers are creosoted sleepers. They're, they're not hardwood, but they are creosoted pine sleepers. They've been under the rails for around 30, 40 years. They've got a rustic look. We sell whole sleepers in two-point 
one metre lengths. The dimensions are 150 by 200 by 2.1. We also sell uh, rough and broken sleepers, uh, which you can grow pot plants out of. They're also good for building retaining walls. Ten they seconds. Have a structural rating. They have a structural rating, and our pavers are also a third of the cost. And you can contact me through LinkedIn, John Stevenson, S-T-E-V-E-N-S-O-N. There you go. Hey, that was pretty good, mate. One quick thing. Uh, you didn't say what a rail sleeper was. I've got no flipping idea. I've got a small brain. Just give me that one. What's a rail sleeper? It sounds good. A, what a is that? Railway, a railway sleeper is the structural support that holds the railway tracks above the ground. Ah, clack. So got it. length of timber, and they're very, very popular and very expensive, uh, but I'm selling them uh, a lot cheaper than everybody else. And uh, I guarantee my product, and I've got limited liability, So, and I also deliver. <laughs> great great hey, one-minute pitch, mate. I, I, I also li- no, no, you're fine. I also like how you gave a little, you gave a little dig at Bunnings there through the thing, so hey, props to you. All right, next up, we've got uh, Larry from Auckland. Kia ora, Larry. How are you? Good, thank you. All right, you ready to rumble, mate? Yeah, I'll okay. do a little spin here. Okay, so I'm going to push go, you'll go, and then at 10 seconds to go, I'll say 10 seconds, and as soon as the alarm goes off, Bryn's going to cut your mic. So in three, two, one, one-minute pitch with Larry from Auckland, go. Yeah, I'm Larry. I'm in a musical project called The Level Playing Field. My uh, email is lollyscrambler, one word, at hotmail.com. Now, I've been, been in a previous band called Harry Death. We were sort of a punk band back in the 90s, did two albums, but we've released some more stuff. We've got 24 original songs ready to go. Uh, all instruments are played by me. It's sort of easy listening, grunge, new wave type sound. But the general theme is climate change and the cost of living. I've also written a book about my life with uh, poems and cartoons in it. And um, we're going to make. I've written a play that's going to be made into a film. So the first 12 song album is free. The second one maybe ten dollars or so, ten or fifteen dollars. And um, if you're interested, give me a call. We're maybe going to go on tour with it, but I'll be playing all the instruments by myself on a sort of a loop technology type thing. But I may get one or two musicians to help me. We're going to go around all the different towns and get the kids to clean up the litter. There you go. All right. Hey, two two quick things. Hey, it's interesting, Larry. I'll give you some feedback. You said your email before you saying what you were actually doing, so <laughs> I didn't know if I wrote down or not. You sound like you're an awesome creator doing some good stuff out there. Very cool. I quite like that. Well, two I thought I'd get that in first just in case I uh, left, uh, oh, cool. missed the, the timer at the end and, put, and missed out everyone hearing the uh, email, you see. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate that. Hey, Larry, enjoy the weekend. Best of luck with all your creation. Get it out there to the world. And if, if it's good, I'm no, no doubt the market will um, will re- reciprocate the, the goodness. So have a good weekend to Johnny and Larry. Cheers for joining us for today's one-minute pitch. Very cool. Giddy up. All right. Uh, time now is 22 minutes to two. Bet live on today FM. All right, uh, now we're getting into Paul Conway's corner. His name is Paul Conway. He's the chief economist of the Reserve Bank of Aotearoa New Zealand. Each week he joins us to, you know, give some great brainwaves of things that are going on. And so let's get into it. Uh, how are you, Paul? No, oh, kia ora, Rebecca. I'm feeling much better than last time uh, we caught up. It was a pretty pretty weird experience uh, last week to end up uh, in hospital for a few nights. 
Um, yeah, so heaps better. Thanks. Can, can I, Rebecca, can I just, before we get into the economics, can I just sort of give a massive uh, shout out to any any nurses uh, that might be listening? I've kind of had a bit to do with nurses the last week or so. And, you know, all of them, they are truly uh, amazing. So so compassionate and, and empathetic and sort of, I don't know, EQ, emotional intelligence. That's absolutely off the scale. They can sort of tell how I'm feeling just by, by looking at me. Uh, so just yeah. to say thank you, uh, nurses for that you know the work you do is incredible uh, amazing contribution very important i i 150 percent agree because as you know my wife is a nurse she's a nurse at uh, starship children's emergency and all that and uh. i do i think that you know like we get, we're in very fortunate positions where you know we we get to you know do cool things and blah blah we have a bad day, it's like, oh, you know, a deal didn't go through or a number spreadsheet went wrong or whatever it may be. They, ha- A nurse has a bad day, people die. You know, it just puts things yeah, into exactly. perspective so, so well. So, yeah, good on you. Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll give, I'll give uh, props out there to all, all the nurses too. And, and I also need to give you props as well, uh, Paul, because uh, last week when we did the show, you were in hospital in your gown on with your feet up eating porridge or whatever it was. And uh, so props on you for, for getting back on your feet and charging away. So I'm, I'm stoked to get into it today. So last Good week we, um, we had reached out to everyone on uh, LinkedIn and we'd asked a couple of questions, said, hey, we've got Paul Conway on the show, asked some questions. And we didn't get enough time through last week to get through everything because a lot of people asked some questions. So we're going to continue on from last week. And so getting straight into it, we had a question from uh, Steve R, which has said, uh, what is involved in trying to predict inflation and how many months slash years out can you see that prediction was not quite accurate enough to put mitigations in place to adjust its effects on the local economy? Good question, Steve. Oh, yeah. All right, let's jump into that one. That's a pretty good you... question. Yeah, Steve, yep. thanks for that. Um, so let, let's start with the prediction bit, so the murky art of prediction, trying to predict the future. And can I just say, you know, it's not easy. Like economics has never really been about predicting uh, the future, you know, economics, it's about human behaviour. So good luck trying to predict that. You know, I, I have enough trouble trying to predict my own behaviour, uh, never mind everybody else's. So, you know, the economy, it's a massive, complex system and it's always getting pushed around. But, you know, economics, Rebet, it does, it gives us some sort of frameworks for thinking about the world or at least one aspect of the world. Uh, and some of those frameworks do allow us to sort of push out into the future a bit, you know, sort of amidst massive uncertainty. So, you know, first point, um, don't believe an economist that tells you they can predict the future. You know, economics gives us broad general hints about the fu- how the future might possibly unfold. But to be honest, you know, I'm more surprised when we get it perfectly right uh, rather than we get it a bit wrong, you know, because it's an inexact science. So... That's the prediction bit. Let's turn to the inflation bit. Uh, so how do we predict inflation? And I sort of think of it, you know, in the short run, the sort of here and now of it over the next six months. And a lot of that is what's coming over the border. Uh, so if oil prices go up for whatever reason, it doesn't take very long for that to show up at the petrol pump uh, here in Aotearoa. Uh, or if our exchange rate uh, goes down, uh, for example, then the price of imported stuff, products into New Zealand goes up and it doesn't take long for that to show up uh, as inflation either. Now I should say, you know, here at the Reserve Bank, we tend to, we call it sort of look through or sort of ignore inflation that's been driven by things like a spike in oil prices because, you know, what's the point in us 
sort of lifting interest rates and pushing the economy around because the price of oil has gone up. There's nothing we can do uh, about the price of oil, so we might as well just sort of ignore it and look through it from a monetary policy perspective. So that's sort of the short term. Uh, when you get out to more the sort of medium, longer term, sort of, I don't know, eight, ten months, a year, you know, two years, uh, what's driving inflation there? And a lot of that is kind of more fundamental, so it's sort of, you know, the balance of demand and supply uh, in the economy. So if demand is running ahead uh, of the ability or the economy's ability to supply, you know, demand greater than supply, excess demand, that equals inflation. Uh, and also another sort of driver of inflation over that medium term is what, you know, what do people expect inflation to be? So if you think inflation is going to be 4% uh, over the next couple of years, then you'll push for a higher pay rise, you know, which is kind of, kind of fair enough to sort of keep up with the cost of stuff. Um, but if that sort of gets into business costs, then they put their prices up and, you know, and so it goes. And we, you know, the risk there is that we could end up in a sort of dreaded uh, wage price spiral. And, you know, this more medium term stuff, drivers of inflation, that's what the central bank, that's the Reserve Bank, that's what we push back against because that can get into a destabilising uh, situation. So, you know, we'll put up interest rates to sort of encourage people to save more rather than spend. So then we sort of cool down spending, we cool down demand and bring it more into balance uh, with supply in the economy and we sort of get on top uh, of inflation that way. And just, just to round out that question, Steve, which I thought was an awesome question, uh, you know, when can we sort of see that our predictions aren't accurate? You know, we're, we're always uh, sort of reassessing, revising, revisiting uh, how we thought the economy was going to turn out versus how it actually is turning out. Uh, and every six weeks, you know, we get to tweak what we're doing with interest rates. So, you know, that, that's pretty much a big part of the job is just keeping on top of the data flow and, you know, talking to people and figuring out what's actually going on out there and revising our expectations uh, as we go. We, so we're not sort of locked into one view uh, over the next three years or anything like that. It's, it's only six weeks, which is, you know, good. It's a repeat game, as we say. Well, it keeps it kind of flowing along. And, yeah, definitely interesting to see how, you know, one part goes up and then it starts to affect each different, you know, and the last thing you want is sort of to spiral out and then next thing you know you're, you're taking wheelbarrows down full of cash to try and get some, exactly. some, some bread, which you obviously don't want. Uh, next question yeah. is uh, Luke Kimmy. So, he, oh, Luke Kimmy, he's from uh, Boys Get Paid. He's, he's a fan of the, the horses and, and he's also uh, one of a uh, small business accountant, which smacks it away, so he's going to yeah. have a good one. Uh, Luke would like to know, uh, with inflation being so evident 12 months ago, why did we not just send the... The OCR, um, which we've learnt about on the show here before, the official cash rate up by 1.5% straight away instead of three instalments. The OCR is said yeah. to have further to go, but we but we raise slowly. Why so slowly? Why not send it yeah. like we did on the way down? That is from Luke. Go for it. Yeah, good question, Luke. So the OCR, official cash rate, so that, that's the interest rate that the Reserve Bank uh, can set, like we, we set that and that influences interest rates across the whole economy you know, to, to, to some extent. It's not the only driver of interest rates, but, you know, sort of short-term interest rates, it's pretty important. So, And, you know, there's, there's actually, that's a nice question, Luke, there's actually quite a bit of wisdom in your question because, you know, on the one hand, you sort of think, you know, we've got a job to do, we can see inflation, we can see that interest rates need to be a bit higher, you know, let's just do it. Let's just get it done. It's that idea of sort of stitch in time saves nine. So if we can sort of smack it on the head now, uh, you know, we're saving ourselves a bigger job down the track, sort of, you know, go hard or go home. 
Um, and, and essentially that's what the Reserve Bank's been doing uh, over the last six or eight months. We've been going pretty hard uh, on the interest rate front um, because, you know, the job uh, in front of us has been pretty clear. Um, but, you know, just sort of getting back to what we are chatting about earlier, Rebecca, you know, there's, there's, we need to be honest about our sort of capability or our capacity to predict the future. And, you know, we're facing into heaps of uncertainty at the best of times and, and now is not the best of times. So there's masses of uncertainty around what we do. So sometimes, you know, you've sort of got to feel your way uh, and you sort of put interest rates up a bit and you need to see what effect it's having on the on the economy. Um, so, you know, that's on the one hand, get the job done. On the other hand, well, we're facing into a lot of uncertainty, so we need to sort of feel our way. Uh, and the other thing is we're not, you know, part of our sort of um, instructions from the government is that we're not meant to uh, sort of inject unnecessary volatility uh, into the economy, which also, you know, so it's not just about keeping inflation in its box and supporting employment, um, but we don't want to sort of throw the economy around too much uh, unnecessarily. So, you know, that's the other sort of thing uh, that makes us, you know, sometimes just 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 have to, well, as I said, kind of feel feel your way and get a good sense of what's going on. So that that's sort of going slowly sort of gets back to what we are talking about earlier, massive uncertainty around what we do, and we just have to be a bit humble uh, and, and sort of acknowledge that and how we operate uh, monetary policy. Just like that. These, que- these Q&As are really good. Like People have obviously thought about these questions. They're very particular and specific at each d- different angle, and it's cool they can get an answer straight from you. So enjoy the yeah, rest of the great. weekend. Thanks it. for ju- jumping in again, man. I'm stoked you're back, back on the train and, and feeling good, man. And um, I think we've got our next guest is actually going to be someone that's definitely way, way, way smarter, good-looking, and just cooler than you. I, th- I think our next you're guest actually, might be... Rebecca, yeah. you're, talking, you're talking to my partner next, Anne-Marie Brook, from the Human Rights uh, Measurement Initiative. So I'll just... Which is cool. It's it's a family show. I'll just um, pass the phone over to her, if you like. Done, my man. Hey, talk to you soon, Paul. Have a good weekend. All right. Cheers, Rebecca. Thanks a lot. Live from San Francisco. And streaming now on Facebook Live. It's Rebecca Live with how to turn your passion into profit. On Today FM. All right, welcome back to Rebecca Live on Today FM. My next guest is someone way, way, way smarter than Paul Conway. It is his partner, Anne-Marie Brooks. She's one of the founders of the Human Rights Measurement Initiative. Kia ora, Anne-Marie, how are you? Kia ora, Robert. Good to be here. All right, well, let's start with the big question. I mean, why Paul Conway? What are we doing, team? I mean, geez, come on. I'm, I'm sure you're a lovely lady. Why are you, why are you hanging around with mischief like that? What, what's the deal? <laughs> oh, he's just great. You know that. <laughs> I get it. Hey, I really appreciate you um, uh, coming on the show this afternoon. Um, so, you know, you, you with the company there, you're basically the f- one of the first organisations uh, comprehensively tracking the human rights performance of countries. So, like, let's maybe just zoom it back just a little bit. So what is this, how to go in, and what are human rights? Yeah, well, human rights are basically just a social contract for how people should treat one another. So I like to think of them as being the things that we want for our children. And I don't just mean your children, Rebecca, or mine, but all the children. You know, so basically food, education, healthcare, a job, the freedom to pursue their dreams without being killed for being the wrong colour or without being tortured for speaking out against injustices. You know, one statistic that I find mind-blowing is that globally there's 10 children born every 45 seconds 
but we know that very few of them are being born in places where they can count on getting these kinds of things that in my life I've so often taken for granted. So, yeah, the Human Rights Measurement Initiative is uh, kind of working to draw more attention to these things. And, and so with Hermie, how's it going so far? Like, what's the data that you're pulling together and what's your insights so far at a macro when you're kind of going through the journey to date? Yeah, well, it is a complete journey, um, and you're an entrepreneur, so you know that it's a bit of a roller coaster, constant excitement, but also moments of fear and exhaustion. Uh, but overall, it's going really great. Hermie is what we call the Human Rights Measurement Initiative for short. So Hermie's vision is a world where countries are competing to see who can treat people the best. Uh, so our main product. It's called the Hermie Rights Tracker. We're producing independent scorecards on how well countries are treating people. And we published our first data set in 2018, and we've been growing that ever since. And I wouldn't say that I had this grander vision in the early days, but I now like to think of what we're doing as building the foundations for a human rights revolution. So how can we help to fundamentally change the fabric of society so that businesses, governments and regular people have the tools they need to help recreate our world. And it's, 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 it's slow progress, but it's going really well. Within the last couple of months, we've had articles published using our data in The Guardian, Al Jazeera, The Washington Post, uh, stuff.co.nz. I think you posted an article about our stuff on your Facebook page. Um, and I, all of these are just helping to build out awareness of human rights data and the fact that it's even possible to track mm. country performance on these things. So on that, it's awesome that you've got such a, a cool project coming out of, I guess, you know, local to global is a, a massive big one for me. So as, I guess, you know, a bit of an entrepreneur, what's your experience been so far tra taking on, I guess, global data challenges, but all the way from Aotearoa and New Zealand? Like, like it's it, it seems like a, a big chunk to, to take on global data out of a, a, a small place of the world. What's that? What's that ride been like? Yeah, well, I mean, New Zealand is a great place to be, but I also want to say that only part of our team is based in New Zealand. So I'm one of Hermes' three co-founders. The other two are based in the United States. But um, New Zealand, I find, is, you know, I think you know, our kind of main base of operations is in New Zealand, and I have found that the in the time that I've been working on this, the, the community of entrepreneurs that I've gotten to know in New Zealand is, is growing um, and it's increasingly supportive. And the other thing that makes New Zealand a really good place to be doing this work is that it's a safe place. You know, New Zealand has one of the lowest corruption rates in the world. It's got really good rule of law. Um, and so you can do stuff like human rights work here, you know, and unfortunately that, that's not the case everywhere in the world. Mm. So you've been going for a couple of years now. Before that, it doesn't seem like too many people were doing it. So why was no one else really digging into this type of data and why didn't this exist before? Yeah, well, it's funny that people sometimes think that all good ideas must already have been taken and you only need to look around the world and see all the things we're messing up to know there's about a million great ideas that haven't yet seen the light of day. Um, and, you know, there, were, there have always been people doing little bits and pieces of measurement of, like, some parts of the human rights picture, but I think no one was trying to build out a comprehensive country scorecard, partly because, I think there's a few reasons, partly because... Governments usually produce country-level data, but 
governments can't measure their own human rights performance because that's basically because they've got a conflict of interest. But if you're not government, like us, then how do you get funded? So funding's a challenge. Secondly, I think, you know, what we're doing has really been enabled by the digital revolution. So I don't think, I'm not sure anyone could have done this 20 years ago. I'm on Zoom meetings all around the world every day and then we're collecting data from from human rights experts in countries all around the world using digital tools and we just couldn't have done that um, you know before the digital tools existed and then thirdly you know and kind of building on that it's really difficult and challenging We'd, we are basically built there was no pre-existing network of human rights experts that we could just tap into to collect this information so we're really building that so someone's listening to us right now and they want to su- support you or dig in, where can they go to and what can they do? Because it sounds like you've got a massive trove of data sitting somewhere which would be extremely insightful from, I guess, a Kiwi's view, but also to the world. Where can they go to? What can they do? Yeah, so our main data product is rightstracker.org and you can search, go there, all the data is free. You can search by right or by country, um, get a country scorecard and, uh, yeah, we've also got a website, humanrightsmeasurement.org and follow us on social media at rightstracker.org. Love it. Hey, really appreciate you joining us. You are def... I mean, Paul is definitely, definitely, definitely punching because you're extremely smart doing some great stuff. I really appreciate you joining the show. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. I hope the day goes well. I hope the weekend goes awesome. Keep your head up. Do good. Be great. Be brave. Do something awesome today, team. Much love, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the show. 